Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast, where we bring you probing conversations about the future of education. I'm Jeff Young, an editor and reporter here at Ed Surge, a national publication covering K-12 and higher education. Today, we're talking about the college admissions scandal, which, let's face it, sounds kind of like the plot of a bad movie. As you all know, last month, federal prosecutors described this elaborate alleged fraud scheme that involved bribing college coaches uh, to help students get admission, uh, doctoring SAT test scores, and paying off test proctors so that um, some paid expert could pose as students uh, to take the SAT test. The incident has raised questions about the fairness and validity of, of really the whole admissions process, and specifically about whether the SAT is as secure as it should be. So this week, I got to sit down with the president of the college board, Jeremy Singer. Um, now, of course, the college board is the entity that makes and administers this SAT test. Um, and I wanted to ask him how the organization is responding and about his thoughts about the broader issues around admissions. The interview took place uh, this week at the ASU GSV Summit in San Diego. Uh, This brought together thousands of higher ed and industry leaders looking for innovations in education. This was one of nearly a dozen interviews we did with thought leaders during the event. And and we're going to be bringing you more of those conversations on the podcast in coming weeks. So stay tuned for those. But we wanted to rush out this interview with Singer uh, since this admission scandal is obviously still so fresh and, and topical. And one thing I really wanted to know when I talked to him was, how did it feel to find out that, that the test had been gamed in this way, and, and was he surprised? Here are some highlights of our conversation. Okay, so I'm here with Jeremy Singer, uh, president of the College Board. Thank you so much for talking with us today. My pleasure. I, I wanted to jump in and start talking about the, the college admissions scandal, which it seems like every day there's some new little wrinkle in it. but. Um, For those who don't know, I mean, this was a few weeks ago, federal prosecutors kind of announced that they had done this big sting and and found this very, you know, um, uh, case of sort of out-and-out bribery around and and fraud around people trying to get into college, including, um, I'm sure you noticed, the college board, you know, in one case, college board runs the SAT, and somebody paying to have someone take a ringer, take SAT tests for people or change answers. So I guess in one way, I wanted to just start out by saying what 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 do you do as an organization to help restore trust in this environment when people are looking all of a sudden anew at like is this system is this system secure right well let me start pull back a little on the bigger picture and i I think the varsity blues um scandal that's its nickname that's right right. the varsity blues was the it's with the fbi yeah Yeah. so it it hit a real nerve um uh for most people of the inequity we see in the system of between families with more resources, wealthier families, and those who don't. Um, there's a great stat, a great is probably the wrong term, a very right, depressing, a powerful one. depressing yeah. stat that Raj Chetty uh, published where... Um, he does social mobility studies right, right, with right, education. Right, and he showed that um, for the top 1% of income, uh, they're uh, 77 times more likely to get into these certain what they call Ivy League plus schools than the bottom 20 percent. So wow. just that one percent. So it correlates that income to, to access. Yeah, and and that's because there's a lot of things in the system that advantage uh, uh, people with with money. Frankly, so this story hit that nerve. I, College Board was founded to try to address that inequity, right? So it was these. Uh, East Coast schools, uh, Ivy League schools that said, hey, we can't find, we don't have the resources in the early 1900s to find students 
from Milwaukee, from uh, you know Montana, Idaho, and so th they said we need a vehicle to assess their readiness, and that was how College Board and SAT was was started. Yeah, over 100 years ago. Over almost yeah, 100 years ago, essentially. Yeah. So we've been uh, sort of working on that. Uh, you know, we've had some success, but it's it's still as as, as Raj's stat shows, is still uh, a, a lot of issues. The the specifics to Varsity Blues was a very I, I think um, extreme example of it, and very small. Uh, there's uh, so, as you said, a, a, a few uh, students uh, were able to switch the school where they tested. Um, uh, they got accommodations, and then they didn't take the exam at the school. They went to another school where they weren't. Uh, the school didn't know them, and, and somehow they paid paid a proctor, and, and they uh, took advantage of that by by, by taking the test for them. Or, or helping correct their answers. It happened in two cases. That is extremely rare. We well, that was part of that prosecution. I mean, there was right. a, a little bit of a hint that maybe this is a broader scam, but I understand your point overall. It's extremely rare. I, I think we take it very seriously. We've invested millions upon millions, and we continue to on, 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 on securing the test. The integrity of the test is critically important. If higher ed, if the higher education system doesn't see it as a as a valid objective measure, they won't use it. So it's important that we protect it. Uh, we focus on a lot of, of things around test security. Uh, there, there's a whole series of initiatives. For this specific example, we're taking action, which is um, we're making it. Uh, it's rare that a student who has an accommodation, and accommodation means uh, they get extra time, for example, or a blind student will, will get a braille form. Uh, but or extra time because you have some sort of learning disability. Learning disability, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's the most common is, is, is they get time and a half. Um, but they typically, those students still take the exam in, in, their, in their, their home school, essentially. Where they be known. Where they be known. And so, but some can't for whatever reason. And, and we're just tightening those procedures. So if it's a valid case, we'll allow it, but it won't be easy. You, you'll be in your known school where that would essentially eliminate that chance of, of, of this kind of impersonation piece. Yeah, I mean, there I have seen a, a lot of discussion online, you probably have too, about is this going to actually um, kind of, the, the, I feel like the trend has been, there's been a growing awareness of, of you know, genuine learning disabilities and accommodation provided. And will this potentially roll back some of that progress because people are, now that someone's gained the system, has that messed it up for, for those with true needs? Yeah, so when I came to College Board six years ago, we talked to a lot of groups representing students with learning disabilities. And, yeah. and they, frankly, they were frustrated because the process to get accommodations was really burdensome. Uh, in our New York office, we have a, you know, a quarter of a floor with clinical psychologists reviewing cases to make hmm. sure it's valid. So we take it very seriously. Um, mm -hmm. But we did take steps to keep the validity of the process but make it easier on those students so it wouldn't be as hard to get. For a student who, who deserves an accommodation, they would get it. Um, we don't plan to roll that back as a result of this. I mean, that's an important community that, that we can, need to continue to serve. So we take that seriously. So we're not planning to change the accommodation rules. We're planning to change this one very specific case that we think will uh, address the issue. So I'm curious, there's probably a moment where, and probably before any of us in the general public, um, where you found out about the Varsity Blues scandal, maybe from, I don't know, from federal investigators, maybe, I don't know. And what, how, can you describe that moment and what your reaction was to, to, to figuring, to having someone say like, this is, this, yeah. this happened? So, um, 
so first of all, it's unfortunate. So my last name is Singer. The, the, the guy who organized it, his name is Singer. So that was unfortunate. Right, like, right. So no I, relation. I, Rick, no relation. That's I know Rick the guy. Singer, you're yeah, Singer. Yeah, I got a lot of texts and, 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 and emails as soon as it broke. Um, I think for me, as a parent, I related to it. So I have, as I said, a girl, boy, 17-year-old twins who are going through the college process right now. Uh, they're high school seniors. And they're lucky in many ways because uh, you know, they have... Uh, a family who's, you know, our parent, my wife and I and our parents uh, all went to college. Um, obviously, with my job, I have a lot of knowledge about the college going process. Uh, and by the way, I even then still found it complex. A lot of decisions I didn't know what to how to help them. Um, but as we've raised them, we've tried to give them, uh, we wanted them to do two things. One, recognize the advantages that they were born into that most other kids don't have. Uh, and then, but also do that in a way where they see that, but they're also confident about themselves. You don't want to kill their sense of self-worth. Like, oh, all this is, everything that I've achieved is just because of, you know, where my, I was born to this family verse. Hey, I really worked hard and, I, and, I, and I've done good things. But I also know that other kids in other situations wouldn't have had the same opportunities um, even with the same amount of work. So I feel proud. I mean, I, I, my kids have done great and I think they have that recognition and they'll be better citizens and, and, and human beings because of that. And, and so Varsity Blues to me is the polar opposite of that, right? This is people advantaging. These are parents trying to give their student all these advantages that are beyond, beyond the pale, beyond the norm, uh, and then hide it from them. So then they'll, they'll so it's the act, instead of saying, hey, you've done great, but you've also got a lot of advantages, they're saying, you've done, you're trying to manage the outcomes and then hide the fact of all the advantages. So, so then you get kids who are, feel they've accomplished with what they've done by themselves or by their effort, which is, is, is just not true. So it hit me personally very hard on that. Uh, seeing that, that really polar opposite of how I've tried to raise my kids to be citizens and human beings. So. That's interesting. And I mean, did you, do you literally end up with a phone call or an email or how does, how do you find out about something like that? You didn't first read it in the paper. No, right? no. I, so we, we were, um, the college board was cooperating with the FBI in the investigation. So we've known something was going on. We didn't know the, 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 the detail, but obviously we always are happy to work when there's a, a, anything shady happening. We'll work with law enforcement. We want to get, root that stuff out. So, um, so yeah, we, we knew that when the story broke, I, uh, I, I got a text, I think was the first, the first piece and then a myriad of calls and texts and emails that followed, as you can imagine. Right. And then I'm imagining you were already stepping up a response that we've talked about before about yeah. trying to address the underlying logistics. Again, I think, yeah, yes, we, we, we were very intentional about what we would do, but we've been... Uh, you know, we, we, we built a large uh, test security, test integrity team that looks at every process. So these are things like um, shipping the tests and lock boxes so that you can't see the form in advance. So were you surprised that that kind of breach could happen based on that system? Uh, it's rare. So I think there's always going to, this is not a pervasive thing. Uh, so we... Uh, before before I was there, about eight, ten years ago, there was an example, there's a 60-minute story of a student who was impersonating other students to take, was taking a test for them. 
and it was a few instances, but it got a lot of news attention because it's a good story, right? And, but it, does that happen a lot? No, it happens very infrequently. So our response then, which is uh, to, to protect against th this, was the student has to create a, um, uh, an admissions ticket before they, when they register for the exam. And that admission ticket includes a photo of their whole face. There's all these rules. It can't cut off the forehead. It can't cut off the chin. And then they have to bring that admission ticket with the photo and an ID, a valid ID, which is you know very specific of what we allow, to the school the day of the test. And so and that was after the 60 Minutes piece. Yeah, so yeah. So that was eight, ten years ago, and that that has really helped uh, this this idea of impersonation. So now, for a student to impersonate, they both have to check in at the school. For most schools, schools will do it exactly the same. But you check in at the front, and then you then, and then you also the proctor will check you. And again, when you're taking it to homeschool, most people know. So it's a very rare instance, um, and that's why they did it at not the homeschool in these instances, but at a, a different, they, they transferred the kid to a different school. So if we can just tighten that process, we're very confident that this sort of very edge case of, of uh, will be eliminated. You know, you also, zooming back a little bit more, the other thing that the Varsity Blues case really highlighted, which you know super well from being in the test prep world before you came into to your role at College Board, is that there is this hyper, you know, um, the, the fact that people were willing to go that far, but a lot of people are, are doing things that are not illegal or uh, or ethically as, right. as, as clear, but doing things to really try to game the system or, or take get unfair advantage. So um, I understand it seems like one of the things you're you were looking at even before Varsity Blues is to address that yeah, so kind of um, those, but even even the idea of these consultants, right? These high-priced consultants right. that can help some people uh, prepare their application and others don't have the access to that. Right. So when we, when, when David Coleman and I started the College Board a little over six years ago, one of the first priorities was how, how do we continue with what the College Board was founded on, increasing access uh, and equity for all students and giving all students this pathway uh, to college. And so one of the first things we did as we were redesigning the SAT is we did, we, we, I had seen when I was at, in, in paid test prep that you did see people who could afford test prep that had an advantage. They, they practiced and they, and they built their skills. So uh, we partnered with Khan Academy and launched official SAT practice. Uh, it's free. And uh, we... Um, and that was a few years ago, I remember. Yeah, we launched it a few years ago. It's free. I will tell you, it, we had the best people working on it. It's the, it's the best content, the best tools available. And people are using it? We had, we've had 8 million uh, students use it since we launched it a few years ago. Just some great stats. In the last year, the last 12-month uh, cycle, uh, we had uh, 100,000 students who improved their score by 200 points or more and 400,000 students who improved their score by 100 points or more. Mm. So it shows that if the students put the time in, a really great piece of that is when you look by, so let me back up. When we started, we were worried, we're gonna give this free tool, great tool, but it will be used by the families with greater resources because they'll have the knowledge about it. So we did a lot to build awareness uh, through school counselors, through a lot of different communities. And the great news is we're seeing it used pretty much proportionally by income, by race, by first gen versus new. So, so we're it isn't just the, the rich school. A district. new tool for the rich. And we've seen paid test prep to really decline in the same time because oh, yeah. this tool works. Yeah, a dramatic increase in, 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 our, in our use of a tool and, and paid test because you can get this for free and the tool is as strong as, as any tool out there. So it's, it's, it's negatively impacting the business of, of the Kaplan's and the other test prep operations. Yeah, I have a lot think? of former friends there, but yes. <laughs> 
they're still doing fine in other, you know, for graduate exams and MCAT and things like that. What do you, I mean, I guess I'm curious about, um, what would you say to somebody who sees this Varsity Blue situation and says, um, and I know there are some colleges that have already changed their requirements to either not require the SAT or ACT, frankly, right. um, to sort of move away from these standardized tests a little bit. What if you said, you know, what if somebody said like, well, this is a, a moment to just look at holistic admissions instead um, because, you know, that, that might be the better, more fair way to, to go. And, and maybe yeah. there are data ways for colleges to manage those, those large files these days or something. So, so first of all, we, we always support holistic admissions. So while we... We believe there should be one with a test for your. Well, sake. we believe there should be one object. No, no, it's clear. It's important. We believe there should be one objective measure uh -huh. um, that is comparable, uh, and it, it guards against a lot of issues, which I can talk about. But, but we we, we don't support using just a test score for admission. So that's okay. important to start with. Okay. Um, I, you know, my reaction to to Varsity Blues, I think everybody interpreted it different ways, but for us. You know, yes, with money, you're able to game things. It's much harder to game the SAT than it is GPAs, uh, clubs, extracurricular, uh, letters of recommendation, et cetera. And so, you know, college admissions... In other words, I could fake it as uh, make up an activity that I didn't actually do? Is sure. What you, mean? you could do that, you know, with the personal essays, the authenticity of the, the student writing it, you know, people are coaches. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff, you know, I, I, we obviously are members or admissions officers and they struggle. They, I think they do a tremendous job, but this is something they struggle with. And, you know, the colleges we, themselves, your members. The being, college, yeah. yeah. Of how to evaluate that. Um, so, so to go away with the one objective measure that is common as a result of Varsity Blue seems like the opposite direction you, you should go in. We, we need to make sure it can't be gamed and, it, and, and this, this really sort of small example doesn't happen. And again, we'll take measures. But ultimately, um, there's other things that are much more manipulatable, uh, manipulative? <laughs> able to be able, manipulate, yeah. manipulated, gameable, thank you, uh, than, than uh, the SAT. And so, for example, um, grades. So we've, we, we've, there, there's some really good research we've done, other, other, other researchers have done, that have shown GPAs have gone up for uh, private schools and, and more wealthier schools significantly in the last 10 years, I think 0.11 um, uh, on, on the scale. Uh, in lower income and, and middle income schools, GPAs have basically stayed flat. Yet if you look at the SAT score across those two, there, you don't see the increase. So somehow students are getting higher GPAs at private schools, um, but they're not getting higher scores in, uh, in the SAT. And you, hmm. you know, if you talk to most private schools, there's a ton of pressure from parents on if a student gets a B or B minus, uh, or you know, the parents calling the teacher, calling the school and saying you can't do that. So there are schools where the lowest grades are A minus. Uh, my kids go to a diverse public school. Uh, my son got a B minus in a class last year. Hmm. Uh, I didn't call the school. No one, you know, they, don't, they don't do that. That would not happen, a parent, a motivated parent in a private school trying to get advantages. So you take away this objective check on uh, grade inflation, and I think it, it would, would actually exacerbate the problem, not solve it. Uh, another thing that's sort of interesting that we're trying to do uh, with all of this is we, we launched a tool um, a year ago called the Environmental Context Dashboard. So we piloted it. Uh, and and, and it, what it, the goal of this is to be used by admissions officers at higher ed institutions to uh, 
evaluate the context from which a student is coming from. So the community, the school, et cetera. So a, you know, an SAT score of 1400 in East LA is not the same as a 1400 in Greenwich. At Greenwich, Connecticut, and so, um, hmm. so if they we can get environmental factors that the student uh, um, could have overcome or thrived uh, on, hmm. and, and taken the context, and so we've had two we we, we piloted with about thirty schools, um, and we got great feedback, uh, which is which is nice, uh, but more importantly, it, it's gotten results. So Florida State University. Uh, they were able to increase their uh, underrepresented uh, class this year using the tool from 37% to 42%. So that may not sound big, but a 5% growth of the students that they're targeting by using this tool is significant. And one more. So it shows a yeah. handicap, so to speak, if you're looking as a college admissions person of like, well, this score means this likely here versus here. Exactly. What are the obstacles? And it's not just SAT scores. It's other, it's other it, it takes it, it GPA, APs, et cetera. It has the whole... Uh, record of the student, but in the context of that school and that community. So we're seeing some progress. We have a long way to go, um, but that's a tool that's free that we're providing to higher ed, and we're going we're gonna, to um, try to blow it out this year to, to a lot more schools. And to be clear, higher ed institutions have been trying to do this for a long time, but they don't always have the right tools to do it. So they do care. They don't view every school or every as the same, uh, but this is a much more effective way to do it with data um, and, and methodically than they've had in the past. All these things we're talking about, do you think the ideal is for the test prep industry to effectively go away or be unneeded because of these tools? Um, you know, I think wealthier families are investing a lot more of their resources to, to, to improve their kids' chances in education. And that's just a trend. And that disparity is higher than it's ever been. Um, and I think that will continue. So I think there will always be some demand for something more. As soon as you have something that is universal, um, you see you see uh, schools looking for other other examples. And oh, we even, wow! So it just turns up the temperature on other aspects I, I, potentially. I, I think uh, huh. it does. I mean, we're huh. we're we're we've been um, starting a, a conversation about something called Stop the Madness, which is this kind of how, how do you take. How, how do you address some of this escalation? So, for example, with AP courses, you, you know, a lot the of... The advanced placement courses. Advanced that, placement yeah. courses. You know, there are some schools where students feel they, to, for admissions purposes, they're trying to take 18 or 20 courses. You know, we don't think that's healthy. If, if you want, if they're the most rigorous courses and they're ones you want and you're ready as a student, great. But you shouldn't be doing that for college admissions. And so we're working with higher ed to say, hey, can we de-escalate a bit and say, we're only going to look at a certain number of courses. Mm. And, and, and if you take more, fine, if you want to, but it's not going to affect your chances at admission. For the colleges to send that signal. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, That's what you're asking. That's what your, we're going to ask. Is yeah, they'll say, When hey, is that going to start? That's a uh, we're in conversations course. with our members, so we don't control, obviously. But, but we're advocating for that because, again, we're very proud of the AP classes and I think the rigor in it. I have uh, high school senior twins who are seniors, oh, well. and they took a number of APs. And I, I think they had some, those were some of the best or not. They, weren't, they were their best classes. They, they were most engaged in, the most challenged uh, and, and rewarding. Um, so I, I still think they're, they have a value, but they, they shouldn't be doing it pure, you know, college admission should not be the driving factor of taking AP. It should be because the student's ready and wants to and is motivated to take it. So even though the college board um, effectively runs and would you think be incented to have more AP courses, you're saying you're actually thinking the better world is less, fewer. Right. We have research that shows um, success in college 
when you take up to five, uh, it increases your success. Everything else controlled. Uh, than if you didn't, the same student, your success in, in, in graduating in four to six years, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it is predictive of, of um, college success and there's value in taking uh, a certain number, but that data, when you take more than five, it, it, you, it, there's no incremental advantage. So we're, we, we say up to five is probably where we'll end up. Um, we huh. also want more kids and we have a big focus, again, on low-income students who are already taking AP, because again, in a lot of instances, they don't, they aren't, the parents and the students don't know or aren't, aren't, aren't being advocated sure. to take it. To even we, know that these are available. Yeah. Or, and we, or they don't have them in their schools. They don't have them in their schools, which is in some circumstances, but they're just not encouraged to take them or they're not pushed. We see, we've done a lot of effort there and we've seen real changes in, in, in that piece. Uh, so uh, students who are ready for AP, low income, first gen, are, are taking it at a higher rate uh, due to those initiatives of reaching out to them and, 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 and pushing them. Uh, to take the same courses that a wealthier uh, student from a wealthier family would take. It's I guess the um, the stop that I'm interested in this stop the madness a, a campaign or, or whatever that would entail because it does seem like the broader the broader issues are are really getting back to this intense desire and you said it's going up uh, in the culture of parents wealthy parents especially to really focus on this spend right. more money on preparing their kids for college or try to get into college. Um, in a way, like, yeah, I mean, the SAT, for better or for worse, is part of that, right? It's like part of that, try to get the best score and try yeah. to, it's, it's a, there are these, the best college and the best score and the be, this idea that, that there's a, a real hierarchy, whereas a lot of admissions counselors and guidance counselors try to stress a different narrative, which is, you know, there's no best school objectively for everybody and that each individual student, you said you have kids of your own, yeah. you know, that may be better off at, at this school or that, whether it's selective or not. Maybe it's maybe the best school for somebody's son or daughter is not even a highly selective one. So how do you that that feels like in a way the test the test almost like inherently sort of gets at this idea though of like there's a you're trying to win. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> no, it's fair. Uh, so I, let me do two points. Um, so the first is the SAT being used in college rankings, the average SAT score. We don't like that. Uh, we think it distorts the admissions process because a school will go up in ranking by having. A higher average score so we're have you mentioned that to, yes, to the u.s news yes, report folks? yes and others too and we've seen them decrease the percentage so okay. it used to be a much higher percent it's a much lower percent which we think is healthy we'd be comfortable at being eliminated frankly because um it, it, it creates weird uh, perverse incentives for for colleges and, and and to be fair most colleges are um don't don't necessarily aren't that affected by it um, but there is research, so the second point is, there is research that students who go to an academically fit school, so that means like their SAT score is in the range of what most of the students, um, versus a student who goes to a school where their, their, their SAT score is well above the school's average. When they're in an academically fit, they're more likely to finish school. This isn't research we've done, it's research. They're more likely to complete in four years, six years, or more likely a lot of the outcome statistics are better. They're more college ready, so to speak. They're more college ready, but they're going to college where they're, they fit better I academically, see. and they're more likely then to complete and, then, and, 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 and prosper from that. So there is a real advantage to go to the school um, uh, a school that's a match, and, and that's been a big, another big initiative of the College Board in our six years, and, and higher ed institutions have been doing this as well, which is um, uh, high-achieving, low-income, we call Haley's for uh, abbreviation, but we've really targeted them 
uh, with uh, information that again, wealthier families will have the resources to ha to get to, but that show, hey, here's here's a here's a fit academically fit school to apply to, and it means creating a good college list. It means thinking very strategically. It's a lot about understanding the total cost of, of tuition and because sometimes you see the, the the list price of a school and it's overwhelming but a low-income school may get incredible um, uh, uh, grants or or, or, or or offsets to tuition so it actually may be cheaper than what looks like a less expensive school so um, we've seen real results with higher ed's efforts and our efforts the um, for high achieving low income that per, the percent that apply to fit schools fit or reach meaning their SAT maybe they may be a little below the school average has uh, gone up 15 percentage points so now 58 percent of that population is 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 applying to academically fit schools which is comparable to, to high achieving high income students so that means there are a lot of students to your original point there are a lot of students who may choose a school other than the academic fit and, th and those are valid like the geography they may want to stay close to home uh, they may hate the north and they may want south and there's not a school you know there's a lot of reasons or vice versa there's a lot of reasons other than just academic fit but the good news is we've seen that population again high achieving low income uh change their pattern of where they're going to match high achieving high income um which is great great well honestly i really appreciate all the time and uh thank you for talking with us today no it's my pleasure thank you this has been a bonus edition of the ed surge on air podcast you can find past episodes and subscribe at our show page, bit.ly slash edsurgepod. That's bit.ly slash edsurgepod. Or just find us wherever you listen. We're on Spotify or Google Play or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, you name it. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back Tuesday at our usual time with more conversations about the future of education. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.